A-G-E-R. Voyager. There's coffee in that nebula. Make it yourself. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation, Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Just a little bit embarrassed about having their third Star Trek series, Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Franica. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. You made a big mistake not canceling us two series ago. <laughs> I, I knew that that Greatest Generation colon Voyager was coming, and yet it came as a total shock. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't spill out of the mouth the way yeah. that uh, that DS Nine did. It, it's going to uh, take some getting used to. Yeah, it's it's been one of those series that's always had like an awkward three letter abbreviation. Voy, mm-hmm. boy. Yeah. You know, you see people write that on the internet. It's like voy. What's voy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What does that even mean? I think mm-hmm. uh, I think Kirk spent an entire movie trying to figure out what that meant. V o y a g e r. He sure did, didn't he? <laughs> I don't know what we do on New Series Day. Yeah. Do we have any traditions here? I don't know. I mean, we <laughs> end we end a series with a with a bottle. Yeah. That that we did. The, uh, but I don't know if we be, we've got a new board game, right? Like, oh, we do a have thing? a new board game. But we should probably save board game convo till the yeah. board game portion of the show. I'm just trying to make sure that all of our things are where they're supposed to be right. when we do a show. Right. I think it's probably going to take us this entire episode. We'll be talking to each other, but we will also be like separating all the parts for the board game from that tree right. of plastic that they they come on, right? What I love about my terrible run of luck lately is that uh, I've gotten the last two let's figure it out as we record it episodes to edit. So I'm super psyched about the week it's going to take of me editing out us punching out plastic pieces yeah. of this model podcast while we put it together on the fly. It really reminds me of uh, just thinking back way, way back to season one, episode one of TNG, which I think think our episode about the first episode of TNG is like 25 minutes long or something. It's like... I miss that so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think if there's one thing we learn from this, it's that uh, we can't promise it's going to get any better. For a long time, I kept a field notes notebook in my back pocket back when I was actually out in the world doing things. <laughs> when, and, uh, when, when stimuli uh, came across your transom? A uh, friend of the show, Grant, uh, picked up a kind of whiskey that I had a, a fun cocktail recipe for. And I was like, where did I have that written down? <laughs> sure enough, it was in one of these notebooks, and I save all of these notebooks. So I went into the shoebox, found the notebook, pulled it out, and inside, Ben, yeah. were the notes that I used <laughs> uh, for, I think it was season three of Greatest Gen. Oh, man. And, and there were about four bullet points for each episode. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it was it was like four of, my, four of the only bits I could think of yeah. for... Uh, for survivors, and <laughs> and that was it. 
maybe we constrain ourselves too much by writing lots of notes now. Maybe maybe we should return to a simpler way. It would be great if we could only get back to those days, but I feel like this is a, a path in one direction, you know? Right. You can't go back. That's kind of the whole premise of Voyager, right? That should be a square on the game board is uh, is season one amount of notes. <laughs> four bullet points that's all you get yeah right it's like it's like when you have like a test in college that's not open book but you're permitted one note card here's the thing I think you and I could do a great greatest gen using our five best bullet points every episode I think we could totally do that but I think the the sound that people would make over us skipping a scene for some reason <laughs> and just jumping around to whatever oh, yeah, whatever delighted us <laughs> it'd be it'd make the internet impossible yeah it's not that the internet is any uh anything but impossible these days i was going to say adam my uh my experience the day that we dropped the finale episode of Deep Space Nine on social media was nothing short of delightful. The uh, the Friends of DeSoto really came out and celebrated that episode. And uh, Oh, that's sweet. It was like one of the rare days on social media where I was just like, everything, everything I look at makes me uh, feel like fortunate and happy. And nobody is sliding in here to like bum me out. Or if they are, they've been muted and I'm missing it. <laughs> Oh yeah, the mutant block hammer has been. I'm going two hands with uh, with one in each hand. Yeah. For some reason, I made the double jack off. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was looking away. That, I so. missed it. Ah. That's not what you do with those hammers. Yeah. You and I are people pleasers. I think uh, I think the friends of DeSoto know that, but I think they also know that we're the Ivan Drago of Star Trek podcasters. <laughs> when he finally realizes that he's in the fight for himself. We do this for us. Yeah. And and we're super greasy. We're very oiled yeah. oiled up men. Yeah, I mean uh, I've I've never been as cut <laughs> as I am right now. Yeah. Well, you ju- you just need the uh the flat top buzz cut and and you're basically 100% Drago at this point. If I got a flat top buzz cut right now, I think four <laughs> pounds of hair would fall off my head. <laughs> you seem to be getting all your growth out of the front, and I'm getting all of mine out of the back. Oh, my back is pretty heavy at the moment. Um, I think between the two of us, we'd make a pretty great Joe Dirt, but I don't, <laughs> I'm missing the front and you're missing the back. Yeah, and I'm... Uh, I mean, I'm I'm doing a hundred percent of the eating French fries off of a frozen sphere of airplane poop. So, uh, you know what? I I fucked up, man, because I referred to a movie I'd never seen, and then you oh. came in with a specific <laughs> reference to that movie, and I'm like, <laughs> cool. Yeah. There's a part uh, where where a Boeing bomb lands in the desert near him, and he thinks it's a meteorite. And uh, and then he like uh, you know he squirts out his ketchup packet and in, in a divot on it and is eating the French fries and then later learns what it really was. Oh no! <laughs> I want a meteorite. Yeah. I think it would also kind of terrify me to have one in the home, right? Because I'd always be suspicious of its magic powers. <laughs> oh yeah, or or that maybe its friends would come try to rescue it. <laughs> I think I would always feel like if anything bad happened, it would be the meteorite's fault. 
And wow. conversely, if anything good happened, it'd be the meteorite's fault. I'd grow to covet it <laughs> and fear it. Yeah, you'd, it would be the one ring to your golem, and, uh, and you'd waste away and, and get turned gray and wispy. Oh, I'm already on my way there. I don't need the meteorite for that. You would forget the taste of food, and <laughs> you would only be able to eat fish. That doesn't sound too bad. Uh, Adam, this is a this is a major major episode. I know we need to do a good job here, Ben. We this do. time, we've got to do good. It would be the first time in our podcasting careers that we did good, but I maybe think, this is the one. I think it's worth trying. What okay. do you say? You, I'll try with you. <laughs> <laughs> It'd also be the first time we tried. Uh, <laughs> shall we? Shall we? Shall we get into season one, episode one, caretaker? Engage. Revert course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> we get our classic Star Trek title scroll now, Ben. <laughs> the make we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Maquis were long dead. Yeah. Here's what I love about this setup. We're on the Maquis ship. We're introduced to our three Maquis. And uh, they're all wearing like the Western wear uniform of, of a Maquis, like the, the leather, mm-hmm. the biker bar stuff. Yeah. To make them look like they've been, you know, in the ship for a while. But yep. they all have super fresh haircuts, Ben. They do. Like, like fresh out of the chair. I can't get any more out of it. Be creative. They're looking high and tight in a way that uh, few, few uh, uh, guerrilla fighters ever do. What you love about joining the Maquis is that each uh, Maquis ship has a barbershop in the back where the Maquis just like to get together and uh, talk about things. You should change the name outside to the Three Putzes. Do you think that it's like a cult where like when you join, they give you a haircut and like tell you what kind of clothes you can wear? Oh no. Like uh, <laughs> like it's it's Heaven's Gate, but for people that live on the border between the Cardassian Empire and the Federation. Why are there so many haircut-centric cults? Did that start with Heaven's Gate or were there other cults that did that? The look is so strong. I love the idea of the Maquis being a cult. We don't know if they're branded. We don't know if they like have, have different color sashes to indicate different levels of advancement within. Everyone is just way too good looking to be in a cult. <laughs> These are some good looking peeps. Yeah. I'd like to imagine that if I was in a cult that I would be in a cult with good looking peeps. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess why else would you join one? Right. I joined for all the eye candy. What are you guys in for? You'd probably be the first cult member to get the big snip, huh? Mm. (laughs) I don't need this junk. Yeah, I'm just desperate for a haircut, Adam. That's what you're talking about, right? Right, right. (laughs) Uh, I I want very severe bangs and then very severe bangs. Uh, so they are they're being pursued by Gully Vic. Nice to see him uh, make a little appearance. Cut your engines and prepare to surrender. Or we will do- this is all tell and no show, but what what is described is a very like explosion of Praxis style shockwave coming toward them. Yeah, Chakotay uh, puts down his cup of tea <laughs> and uh, stands up from his command chair. Very familiar scene. Yeah. Like, we don't see outside the ship. They're just going like, it's coming right for us. And it cuts around the bridge and maybe shows like a graphic on a screen. 
Uh, and that's our cold open, like them getting consumed in white light. Hey, let's talk about the timeline of this moment for a second, right? Because when yeah. we finished Deep Space Nine, Cardassia was in ruins. Right. Uh, the Cardassians had recently turned against their Dominion uh, collaborators, and uh, they're, they're rebuilding at the end of Deep Space Nine. But this is many years before. This is before the Dominion right. in this moment that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Golovic, last time we saw him, was a a grease stain on the ground that uh, that Gen- Admiral Beltbuckle was pouring his blood wine out on because he couldn't right. handle his blood wine. And, yeah, uh, Gully Vec is a slurry of <laughs> blood wine and spoons. <laughs> this came out kind of like mid-season four, am I right? Yeah. About that, like mid-season four DS9? I always think of Voyager as a 2000s show, 1995. Yeah, it was like they finished making... Star Trek The Next Generation, they made the movie Generations, and then, like, I was reading that there was a a really stressful period of, like, breaking down every set from Generations and clearing out those sound stages on the Paramount lot so that they could put up the standing sets from Voyager. Wow. And, uh, I mean, like, it, it sounds like that also was, like, maybe they were rushing it too much because they cast somebody in the role of Captain Janeway that didn't work out after like two days of shooting (laughs) and they had to shut down production for a week. When you know, you know, after two weeks. That's so like, you know, Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly to think about like what a different, like like the fact that they're, you can find the footage of the other Mm -hmm. actress in the role and, and compare and contrast in the same way you can with the Eric Stoltz footage. I mean... It's obvious Kate Mulgrew works better as Captain Janeway, but the footage you see of Eric Stoltz as Catherine Janeway is <laughs> is like compelling in its own way, I think. Right. I'm reading a coherent tetron beam scanning us. Origin, Mr. Kim. I'm reading a coherent tetron beam scanning us. Origin, Mr. Kim. He doesn't quite understand the humor of the character, and I think that that's kind of the main reason they maybe walked it back from 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 him. When you see the uh, the the button on the episode, and when Janeway puts the Lieutenant Pips on Tom Paris in a quick stabbing motion, <laughs> uh, it really it really brings it all home for me. <laughs> we get our uh, our opening theme. I really like the theme song of Voyager. Uh, I like the I like the the ship flying through space stuff. It's like it's so much more tranquil than the opening of oh, yeah. TNG ever was. It sets the mood. It sets the mood that we're not in a hurry <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> I think it's it reminded me a lot of the lower decks opening because the first that I had like the very first shot of the ship is the Voyager going through a solar ejection. Right. Like yeah. Which is a which is a thing we've seen in Star Trek episodes and movies that is a thing that destroys starships. Right. I guess they're showing that to persuade us that Voyager is a pretty rugged ship. It's just been commissioned. It's a good ship. It seems like a like a beefy design, right? Like it it's not yeah. as delicate looking as the D. That's true. I'm sure it'll grow on me. I don't know if I love how it looks. Like, I I feel like I love how the D looks. Yeah. That's a handsome ship right there. You love the D. I I maintain my love for the D. The Intrepid-class ship looks like a tool you use to create smooth caulk lines around a toilet or a bathtub, you know? (laughs) 
It yeah. looks like a, it's more utilitarian. Right. Yeah, you dip it in some uh, denatured alcohol first so that it doesn't stick to the tool as much. And then you pull up your green masking tape <laughs> and your lines are pure and straight. Uh, also, with this show, a, uh, a, a woman on the executive producer team, it's Rick Berman and Michael Piller uh, and also Jerry Taylor, and I think that's a Star Trek first. I think it's important that it's in that order. Jerry Taylor is separated by Michael Piller's name from Rick Berman. Yeah, right. So <laughs> probably a good idea for a lot of reasons. He's doing her a solid and providing a literal human shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we come back from the uh, the opening credits and discover that uh, New Zealand has been settled in the future. This is the Federation Penal Settlement New Zealand. <laughs> You may want to try and leave this penal colony, but basically everywhere else there is so much coronavirus. This is the only part of Earth that's safe. Uh, if you're going to do time, doesn't seem like a particularly bad place to do it. Uh, this is where we meet Tom Paris, who has an interaction with Captain Janeway that is straight from Rambo 2. Tom Paris, Catherine Janeway. I wonder if we could go somewhere and talk. About what? About a job we'd like you to do for us. And Janeway's like, uh, you want to win the Vietnam War this time? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's straight from Rambo 2 if Rambo had gone to like a Great Clips and picked a haircut out of the binder right before that scene. I'm, s- I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> Every haircut in this entire show is like... Peak mid to late 90s, dime size drop of hair gel put yeah. into some wet hair and then combed <laughs> back once with a severe part. It it's, really is. That's not the only similarity to Rambo 2. Uh, both Rambo and Tom Paris are in the deep V uh, security wing of the prison. He's got the house arrest anklet and yeah. uh, they go on a walk. He has a tiny, tiny amount of Mayquis on his resume. He says he was only with them for a few weeks after kind of uh, an ig- ignoble Starfleet career. He uh, he mentions to Janeway that he might be running for governor of Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's one of the few statewide offices you can be elected to while still under house arrest, right? Right. <laughs> this is a really long walk to camera. Yeah. Like, this is this is almost a minute of just grabbing the whip and slowly dragging it. <laughs> so Paris has some history with Chakotay. He doesn't, he, he's like, I'm not, I wasn't in the Mayquise long enough to help you find this missing ship you're looking for, Captain Janeway. But, uh, but I do know Chakotay and Chakotay thinks I'm dog shit. He thinks I'm like a total opportunist who has no real beliefs of my own. I'll just take a gig from whoever will offer it. And uh, I'm, I'm down to help you, but I want to know what's in it for me. I'm going to tell you all the ways that Chakotay hates me while reserving all the shit. I would talk about him and his culture for much later. You'll understand when we get there. <laughs> Trouble is, he was right. This is the offer, right? Come along with, uh, you're going to be there to observe, but don't count on doing too much. We just yeah. need your help finding this guy. And uh, Paris looks around at just a terrible situation that he's found himself in. This verdant country club of a penal colony. Uh, the suffering is unimaginable. 
he takes this deal immediately. Uh, she gives him a camera and says, Now, Tom, I have your word. You're just going to take pictures, right? Officially, you'd be a Starfleet observer during the mission. Observer? Tom Paris squints at uh, Janeway, and, and he's like, Am I going to be able to get a haircut while we're going? <laughs> Janeway looks at Paris, and she's like, This time, it's up to you. <laughs> and then they both look at the camera. Hey, speaking of Rambo 2, I feel like the <laughs> ship gets its own Rambo resume as yeah. the uh, as the shuttlecraft approaches it. There's a love uh, this. the con officer who's piloting the shuttle is a uh, nice looking young lady who Paris wastes no time hitting on, and uh, she starts kind of laying down the bona fides of the USS Voyager NCC seven four six five six. It's got some real fancy features. And uh, and they take like a nice leisurely orbit around the ship on the on the shuttle. They they do not head right for the shuttle bay. Like they they come up from behind and do that like almost like a Star Trek film. Like they 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 really wash this ship in some loving camera moves. I love that they arrive via bunk bed. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen a bunk bed class shuttle in a while. It's it's been too long. Oddly, the ship is a uh, mix of Indian German descent. It's a hell of a combination. <laughs> kind of a strange description for yeah. this this ensign <laughs> to use, but okay. Paris also gets us used to the idea of close TV talking in this scene, and this is a quality of him and many other characters uh, that we get throughout this pilot episode, like closer than TV close. I feel yeah. like a lot of people are. Yeah, there are some moments where he like addresses the captain specifically, where <laughs> his chest is like two and a half inches from her chin, and it's just like, yeah. dude, <laughs> you are towering over her. Back up. <laughs> it's fun to be back at Deep Space Nine. This seems to be a uh, a quality that they learned about in the premiere of that show, which is like you want to have some baton passing if you can possibly do it. Deep Space yeah. Nine started with uh, our pals on the D being docked there. And uh, in this way, Voyager is docked at Deep Space Nine. Well, and if you're going to go to the Badlands, hunt some Maquis, this is yeah, a great that's... place uh, to set up base camp. And uh, and so the I guess the ship is kind of in a shakedown mode. They're, they're double checking all the screws are on tight before they embark on their on their mission, but uh, but we catch up in Quark's bar with another main cast character, Harry Kim, getting bullied by Quark into buying some uh, some keepsakes. There is a line that Armin Shimmerman delivers here that is maybe my favorite from the whole episode. Made me laugh with delight, which is, What's your name, son? <laughs> and it made me wonder, like, are you able to say that because of class or because of age? How old do I have to be to say something like that derisively to anyone else. Oh, because yeah. It was such I, a great moment. I've never said son to anyone. Yeah. I, I loved this scene. Like, I loved seeing Quark kind of out of context. He's not interacting with characters we're familiar with. And so it's a new way to discover Quark, but also a way to discover Harry Kim, who is, like, very book smart and has been told to, like, keep watch for con yeah. artists and Ferengis specifically, but... Also, like, not street smart yet. Like, he... Not at all. He's, he's green. More? Please. You need this scene to set up his greenness because I think there's a quality about Garrett Wong that is, uh, that is mature and, and a little unflappable in a way that, like, so many ensigns we've ever met in Star Trek have been, like, 
<laughs> like <laughs> like uh like they're 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 face first in the exploding panel when the bangers get dropped and right. when quark tries to sell him the jewels harry is a mark but he's not an idiot right the way yeah. many ensigns are are made out to be yeah i mean i think it's so fun that quark is the character that they chose for this baton passing there is no mm-hmm. the scene where janeway receives her orders via captain cisco or right i wonder how much they entertain that thought yeah because because that was like such a major part of cisco was how how much they set him up in opposition to picard and i don't think that uh that janeway feels like she is being set up in that way no i think that's really smart because uh it stops you from making any comparisons right away it allows her to to begin on her own in a useful manner it's a much more wide open field for her to to play in. And I mean, we're gonna get over that real fast when she punches Q in the face <laughs> in the second half of this episode. But for right now she's allowed to choose yeah. her own destiny. Okay, I get it. So she's just another kind of Cisco type captain. Gotcha. Right. right. Well, uh Tom Paris kind of intervenes in order to keep Harry Kim from losing his shirt to Quark in this moment, which is kind of like a, I don't know, it's not quite a save the cat moment for, for Tom Paris, but it is a, a meet cute for a friendship between him and Harry Kim. Uh, and they go together to the six bay of Voyager, where I guess they're supposed to check in with the chief medical officer to report for duty. And the chief medical officer is Roga Danar, the super soldier from TNG. Mr. Danar. I hereby grant you field promotion to full medical officer. Really nice to see him transitioning into a different line of work. Get out of there, Tom Paris. The captain asked if you were on board. You should check in with her. He's not afraid of fighting in a hallway. No. Uh, he does not like Paris at all. Yeah. Yeah. Withering is how I would describe his attitude toward Tom Paris. Yeah. Uh, and... Harry has spent a fair amount of time with with Tom Paris at this point and is uh, kind of putting together a picture of of how disliked he is by just yeah. about everyone. You know, it's like showing up at uh, at school and making friends on the first day and then discovering you, you made friends with the kid in class that everyone hates, <laughs> you know. When you showed up to class the first day and, and made friends with your teacher, that had the same effect, right? Yes, absolutely. But you always had someone to eat lunch with. Yeah, nobody else wanted to. No one else wanted half of your tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> we get a little insight into Captain Janeway's personal life via uh, a FaceTime with her husband, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. A Mervyn's catalog sport coat model. <laughs> I liked seeing this dynamic. It was a dynamic that I think is probably very familiar to you and me, which is that Mark is kind of a, a goofball that doesn't have a serious job, and she <laughs> has a very serious job and is like semi-distracted when she's talking to him. <laughs> Yeah, very familiar. She never really asks what he's up to or what he's he's been doing. <laughs> yeah. I like this guy. Yeah. He's the one that takes the dog to the uh to the to the vet and stuff, you know. He's got the free time for it. I like Mark. I do too. Anyway, not going to see that guy again. No. I'm going to miss him. <laughs> then I won't bother you anymore. The uh the ship is just about to head out. Tom and Harry show up in the captain's ready room to say what's up to her. 
they learn that she prefers to be called Captain, not Sir or Ma'am. Ben, did you notice that uh, Harry and Tom enter via the same door that they exit to go to the bridge through? And and I love like Captain Janeway's like, hey, let me show you the bridge for the first time. And what Kim and Paris don't do is look at each other like we just walk through the bridge. To- <laughs> There's only one way in here. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> And I love that Harry Kim actually acts like he's never seen it before when they walk back out that door. Welcome aboard. I think that's a really funny choice, and I think it's on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to make the captain feel captain-y in this moment. Yeah. There was a lot of taking the ship out for the first time stuff in the first episode of TNG. Mm-hmm. And, you know, famously the part where they just cut to theme song while they show the saucer separate for... Yeah two and a half minutes uh, moment. Uh, we don't get quite that much of that in Star Trek Voyager, but we do we do get the, like, you know, clear all moorings, you know, set yeah. the launch sequence stuff, and that stuff gives me the warm fuzzies every time. Do you like that quite a bit? Engage. Did we ever hear Cisco say engage? Is that, does, does he have a catchphrase? Oh, no. I wish you hadn't asked that question. Engage. <laughs> the bridge tour offers another opportunity for Tom Paris to just get repeatedly kicked in the balls over <laughs> his choices, W slash R slash T, the Maquis. Yeah. And then Harry finally confronts him about this. It turns out Tom Paris is the son of an admiral. Just an old man's fantasies. Yeah. And uh, learning about his dark past doesn't really deter Harry Kim at all. Even though that scene happens in the in the commissary where like, a bunch of people who hate Tom Paris have been eating with Harry Kim. Yeah, and then they get up. And then and they get up and leave. <laughs> I thought for sure when Paris ordered the tomato soup, that was Chekhov's tomato soup. Like, that was going to get dumped over his head by someone. Yeah. Roga Danar should have dumped the tomato soup on, on Paris's head. I would have bet anything that he was going to. Paris, he's a character that makes it really hard to to like him. Like, his yeah. his approach to addressing this, like, demon from his past with harry is to say like yeah i am a piece of shit who who cares like like are you gonna stop being friends with me over it person i met 30 seconds ago and harry's like no i've always been friends with fail sons and you're no exception (laughs) it's kind of a fun cheat code to the whole gene roddenberry all starfleets are good people and there are no conflicts among starfleets because Paris isn't one, really, and none of the Maquis are. But when you combine them together, you're able to create the conflicts that you were kind of not permitted to create in in Roddenberry-led series, right? Right. It's a very different approach to that than Deep Space Nine took, and I think that that's really smart. Two things happen when Roddenberry isn't at the creative wheel. Uh, <laughs> the, the conflicts get more numerous, and the skirts get longer. <laughs> Right. The the female characters have agency and uh, are three-dimensional. Kim and Paris are interrupted by uh, the bridge. They're about to enter the Badlands, and so they've got to make their way up there for that. Yeah, the uh, Lieutenant Commander Toast says, anybody that might have some tomato soup is invited to bring that with them to the bridge. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So they enter the Badlands and they need to uh, 
initiate a graviton field to try to disperse the wave that Chakotay ship ran into before. Right. And Rollins is back there initiating the graviton field like he's playing a piano. Did you see this take? He's like, <laughs> blah, 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 blum, <laughs> like lifting up his hands. <laughs> I did not see that take. That's awesome. <laughs> That's big fun. Yeah. The graviton wave does not go well, Enterprise, and... The ship is overtaken, and we get, like, the dip to white edit, when, yeah. where when we come back, the ship is fucked up. And I thought that this was interesting. Like, we're so used to, you know, the crew, you know, grabbing onto their chairs and shaking mm-hmm. and the camera mm-hmm. shaking to make it look like the ship is shaking. Like, nobody is getting yeeted over their control panels. There's no... Like, we don't experience the action. We experience the the precursor in the aftermath and it's like lieutenant commander cavett is dead like the ship is in deep distress nothing works like we're trying to get visuals back on the view screen janeway's hair is down around her shoulders yeah the the bun is tussled and that's how you know things are pretty dire along with the dryer vents and dead bodies strewn about. Right. I got the feeling that Paris stole Cavett's seat, and that's why Paris lived and Cavett died. Oh, man. Like there, was a, there was a sort of mortal version of musical chairs happening. Cavett caught a girder that had Paris's name on it? Yeah. Wow. There's no, there's no guilt about that that Tom Paris feels yeah. uh, at any point. Nor does he feel guilt about the pretty pilot that he was hitting on in the shuttlecraft being dead. Yeah. She's also gone. Uh, uh, Rollins set up that uh, graviton field so well that he has the bridge. While <laughs> Kim and Paris head to sick bay. Oh, is is Rollins the guy with the like real impressive jawline? The ensign. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is. They give a lot of people the con in this episode that I would not expect. Yeah, unexpected con giving. <laughs> That's what Janeway's known for. Yeah, I mean, you got to seems- be on your toes, Ben. She it- might give you the con. <laughs> Are you ready? He ready. I'd be the person at the station needing to uh, alt-tab my my screen back into something useful if she ever gave me the con. Yeah. I would not be ready for that. Speaking of alt-tabbing, uh, Kim gets the view screen back on, and there's a, there's a big space station in front of them, and he's saying, We're over 70,000 light years from where we were. We're on the other side of the galaxy. This is a big mess, and uh, everybody leaves the bridge to go, like, deal with various disasters emerging on the ship. Janeway heads down to engineering. Harry and Tom head to a fire somewhere that they're putting out. I guess this is uh, this is in Six Bay, right? Yes. Yeah. So this is where we meet uh, the emergency medical hologram, who uh, who is the doctor. I love that he has that quality that many tv doctors have which is just walking around with his hand out so that a a nurse or nurse-like figure can place something into that open hand he was programmed with the assumption that a nurse-like figure would be present which seems like a bad assumption in an emergency context you know doctors prescribe nurses provide that's the saying right and in this case nurses provide something for that open hand (laughs) or not (laughs) because the nurse is dead everyone's dead yeah. Meanwhile, Janeway is in engineering looking over her mechanic's shoulder while he fixes something with the carburetor. Warp core microfracture. Breach imminent. She's in there. Yeah. She is not 
she is not that person that uh, drops their starship off at the garage and is like, oh, the timing belt needs to be replaced too? I guess so. Cruise control fluid, you say. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no. Janeway is not going to get fucking screwed over by this this asshole. Lock down the magnetic constrictor. They're looking at a warp core uh, catastrophe uh, unless they act pretty fast. But who's going to fix it, Ben, when all of them are beamed away? Yeah, it seems like they just get it patched up, right? Like, in the nick of time. Yeah. If they'd been beamed away, like, 30 seconds earlier, the ship would have exploded. Kind of a brown beam, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah, that's gross. This is a gross transporter, I think. Yeah. It's a, it, it, it takes everyone off the ship, leaving only the doctor who... Uh, is like tending to a severely wounded woman, it looks like, when she is transported away. And I, I wondered, like, what about all the injured people when they get over to the array? Right. Like, like, they get to... We, we cut to inside the array, and it's like verdant pastoral scene with horses and, you know, corn that's ready for harvest and a, a lady bringing a pitcher of lemonade out onto the porch. And I wish that they were just, like, walking wounded, like... Ugh! Oh God! <laughs> it would be so much more of a of a mind fuck if, after being beamed to Herschel's farmhouse from Walking Dead, they're confronted with like the scorched bodies from Six Bay, like <laughs> draped over the railing. <laughs> Pretty uh, sick. Yeah, I love this though. Like this is peak weird Star Trek. It's also not creepy in the way that they are going for because. Everyone in this scene is white, <laughs> and there's and there's banjo music. It's a hell of a combination. That's before the hollow farmer's daughter takes a shine to Paris and wants to show him her root cellar. Mm-hmm. He only had and, one rule, the farmer. If they yeah. wanted to stay there, he just had that one rule, and Tom Paris and, couldn't follow it. I mean, the the farmer's daughter is always presented as the promiscuous type. Yeah, but I think you got to save the root cellar for at least the fifth or sixth date what's down there potatoes onions but it's real private there's something in the barn that's blowing up their tricorders and this is something that the hollow farmer's daughter is trying her best to keep them away from right there's uh there's an old man working the controls behind the curtain and she would like to distract them look over here Paris hits triangle to dismiss the farmer's daughter from the presentation of her mission <laughs> and then uh, goes inside and uh, and finds a carbine repeater in a weapons locker. It's one of those things, though, where you like think hitting triangle is just going to kind of dismiss a side quest that you don't want to engage with. But what it actually does is turn that person into a red dot on your little radar. Yeah. She's yeah. now his enemy and starts beating the hell out of him. And causes a bunch of the other farm folk to appear with very scary-looking pitchforks. Yeah, literal pitchforks is what they've got. This kind of breaks the spell that, yeah. uh, that everyone's under. And they, uh, they throw the doors at the back of the barn open and uh, look down a long hallway with, uh, with it's full of maquis with super long needles in their bellies. And... Uh, it's a real creepy scene, kind of a Maquis abattoir kind of vibe. In another color palette, it might uh, be Borgie, you know? It, it had that quality to it, especially like something about the, the arms 
hanging back. Yeah, that arms hanging back thing is so creepy, right? Yeah. That's such an idea in the room where like, imagine this, guys. There's a really long hallway and then a bunch of people have needles going into their their chests for some unknown reason and then the quiet person in the writer's room is like yeah and and their arms could be back like this (laughs) and then there's like a super long pause and everyone realizes like the quiet one in the writer's room has got some really fucked up ideas (laughs) let's make sure gary gets the script for the uh mid-season horror genre episode (laughs) those belly needles really reminded me of yeah yeah very much so lot of a uh, lot of Star Trek tropes being reused in this episode that like a very Q kind of idea of being flung far far from where where we came from and it would take decades to get back uh, it's it's it it kind of builds on a new Star Trek adventure out of old Star Trek pieces in a way mm-hmm. very similar to Deep Space Nine saying okay now it's a space station and you know there's a wormhole and like using kind of barzan wormhole episode ideas uh and and some and ideas from other episodes to kind of like set us off on a path using some familiar building blocks there are three things to remember about being a starship captain keep your shirt tucked in go down with the ship and there's a lot of information conveyed very quickly and elliptically here because we're introduced to this setting and then we see that the Voyager crew has joined them on these beds and then three days later they wake up on their ships and by they I mean the uh, the Maquis and the Voyager crew except for Torres and Kim who remain missing. And it seems like the Maquis are up and active a little bit quicker than everyone else because by the time Janeway is coming to in engineering, she's getting reports from the bridge that the Maquis are like trying to get away in their ship. And she makes a deal over the radio with Chicote that uh, that maybe they should beam over and compare notes because they kind of both have the same problem. Up until this point, you might be forgiven for thinking Catherine Janeway is kind of a different type of Starfleet captain. She does things her own way. But when she Starfleets Chakotay here, uh, <laughs> you know she's cut from the same cloth. Yeah. As all great Starfleet captains. Commander, you and I have the same problem. I think it makes sense to try and solve it together, don't you? That's a real strong training program. But one thing yeah. they missed from the training program is deactivating the weapons of people that you're beaming directly to your bridge. Fucking Rollins is back there, and he is two seconds too late on the, hey, they've got guns. <laughs> Rollins, what are you doing? You can see that in the pattern buffer. <laughs> he's like fumble fucking around trying to get his own phaser out. And uh, Janeway's like, we're all perfectly safe. Tuvok was one of us the entire time. Hey, guess who's never going to get the con after this? Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great reveal here because once the Maquis crew is beamed aboard, Tuvok does that thing where he's standing with the Maquis and then he stands with Janeway on the other side and <laughs> reveals himself to be a double agent physically. Yeah. He takes off his uh, his longer sideburns, revealing his Starfleet sideburns. <laughs> he moves his comp badge up a half yeah. an inch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so this reveal comes as a shock to Chicote, who my phone 
constantly autocorrects to chocolatey. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll take four seasons for my notes app to finally come around to Chicote yeah. from chocolatey. But all I'm reading in my notes is the word chocolatey over and over again. <laughs> Chicote is uh, is a character that we don't know much about yet, other than that he is Makewees. But he's he's very striking with his face tat. And I think it's important to talk about the fact that he is meant to represent the Native American type of character that we've met a few other times in Star Trek, but that this show leaned heavily on the advice of a man named Jamaica Highwater, Jamake, I don't know how to pronounce that first name. Uh, The point is he isn't actually Native American and like completely made a lot of this stuff up. And so I like, I think going forward, like we're going to have to deal with the fact that Voyager has some stuff that is like really regrettable about this character and about like the culture that he is theoretically there to represent. Sort of stolen representation valor. Yeah. Uh, What he does represent fairly accurately is the face tattoo community uh, (laughs) all of whom make a strong choice about doing a thing that disallows you from entering most normal workplaces as an employee like (laughs) i see a face tattoo on a makewees and i know they're not ever going to go back to starfleet after that i sort of wonder should i get a a face tat now that i'm a podcaster it's not like i'm going to go get a joe job somewhere I think a podcast is a face tattoo in its own way. Yeah, you can't really rub this off, can you? (laughs) I mean, you look at our resume for the last five years, it might as well say face tattoo. (laughs) So the plan is to go back to the array. Yeah, and this time it's not going to be them getting, you know, brown beamed over there. They're going to kick in the door, waving the 4-4 and... They're not there to take pictures, Ben. No. This time, like they literally like go get the rifles out, and uh, yeah. there's a cool new, new ray gun for the Star Trek universe. I feel like I missed a scene because when Paris is packing, I'm like, since when does the Observer get a gun? <laughs> there's never that moment of of truth where they're passing out the guns. And Tom Paris is like, well, if I'm going, I should get a gun. And Janeway's like, well, I'm not sure about that. You're supposed to be an, an observer. And Chakotay's like, well, I'm Maquis. I should get a gun. Like, there's never the, the yeah. argument about who's deserving. And so much about Tom Paris's character in this first episode is about, like, slipping right into being a professional Starfleet again with very little scrutiny. Yeah. It would have been great if they'd said, "Okay, we'll give you, we'll give you a phaser. We'll give you the key fob phaser. We'll see if you're deserving of the rifle phaser later." And then, and then the first thing he does with it is shoot his anklet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes and finds the farmer's daughter. <laughs> I'm ready for your root cellar. <laughs> I'd hate to see anything happen to Harry. Uh, we also catch up with Torres and Kim, who are in a medical environment being tended to by some low-feared aliens, and they've got these big, like, pussy lesions on their chests and wrists and stuff. Where's my money? Don't worry, Pizza. You'll have it by next week. Torres uh, does not want to be in, in here and starts Star Trek fighting everyone and has to be subdued by some, some orderlies that come in. Like most Klingons in Star Trek, she really has a hard time with this door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. That's, it does uh, not respond to her repeated punches. <laughs> you would think since she's only half Klingon, it, it would be like twice as easy for her to open a door, but it is not. Kind of two different flavors of the same gross feeling is is the disfigurement that Kim and Torres are subjected to. Like, like seeing the needle go in, ugh. Yeah. But then seeing seeing the things on their wrists and neck it's a bad feeling it it feels more dangerous yeah seeing these lesions your mind goes in so many different directions and my mind immediately went to is this transmissible can they get it yeah can they give it to the crew like what is protecting the people in the room from getting whatever they have do you have to have the needle go into your chest why just them like so many questions that i feel like this episode doesn't even tiptoe up to answering if they both have it they could probably fuck and and not really have to worry about it <laughs> yeah right no! what they've come up with, with with the caretaker is that he seems sort of unwilling he's the he's the old banjo man and he's he feels like he owes something to the people uh the okampa the people on this planet and he is not really willing to uh push the vacuum into reverse and blow them back to the alpha quadrant. So they, they realize that they're going to have to go rescue Harry and Bolana on, uh, on this fifth planet in the system, which is, uh, is being fed by like energy pulses from the array. Those are pulses that are quickening in speed. That's a bit of news that Tuvok tells Captain Janeway about. Yeah. Tuvok, the the first full-blooded Vulcan in a main cast on Star Trek. Tim Russ did such a great job in Star Trek Generations. They saw his performance and were like, we're going to make you a character on a series. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be so weird. Like, he, he, he just kept getting to come back to the same two sound stages that he was in <laughs> when they were filming Generations. He knew just where to park. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a family back at home, and uh, Captain Janeway makes a promise to him in this scene she says she will get him back to them this is a classic captain's lament right right, ben the i need to know these people and their strange musical instrument choices so that i can be a better captain to them (laughs) and tuvok is like you should probably get some sleep also that would help (laughs) you seem a little bit loopy (laughs) yeah i can tell you're loopy because you're a close talker too janeway gets right up in there weinrich colby directed this episode Kind of a, wow. some, some interesting uh, staging choices. The plan at this point is to uh, take the ship to the target of these energy pulses. That makes sense. It's not yeah. too far away. It's a, it's a planet where they're going. Yeah. And uh, in order to get there, they got to pass through this debris field. And that's where they encounter a man named Neelix, who is a uh, antiques <laughs> and thrift store shopper. And since you're not interested in my debris... I'm delighted to know you. He's the star of a show called Talaxian Pickers, yeah. where he goes he goes from debris field to debris field and finds treasures that uh, would have been lost to the dust heap of history. He's good for uh, for intel. He's a he's a new guy we're meeting that that lives in this part of the galaxy. So yeah. he seems like a good guy to have around when you're headed to this planet. And so they beam him aboard. And uh, he takes to the ship right away. I've got to get that platinum, get that rolled enlargement. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Yeah, he is. He's going to be kind of their local fixer. He uh, gives us some some sense of like what this quadrant is like because he's really interested in getting some water. That seems to be a scarce resource here. And he has also never heard of a transporter. So these are going to be like things that are special about Voyager that I guess uh, other people will prize about them. And he's also a, a total goofball. 
He's maybe the biggest tone setter of all the characters. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's very fun that Tuvok is the one that goes down to the transporter room to meet him. Tuvok says some pretty disparaging things about Neelix's personal hygiene, though. Perhaps he would care for a bath. Well, he's, he, he doesn't get water. He needs, he needs to take a bath. He hasn't had a bath in his whole life. Oh, no. So uh, the Ocampa, the people who they're, they're going to go visit, are a society of mole men and mole women. And non-binary moles, I suppose. Uh, they live underground. You, you might have an assumption about the way that mole people live. You might think that they're uh, dirty and dusty and uh, and it's a real real pit down there. No, that's not how it is at all. They stay in the caretaker trade and conference center. <laughs> it so happens to be underground. Everyone yeah. is wearing white linen and yeah. uh, and using escalators. And uh, it, it looks like a new terminal at O'Hare Airport. It really does. Yeah, I think this is I think this is the L.A. Convention Center that they shot this in. It's really um, nice. The disease that they are suffering from, they are told, is fatal. That, like, the caretaker's been bringing ships uh, f- around here for months from all over the galaxy. And every every ship that he brings, a couple of, couple of people get sent to the Ocampa for care because they've got these lesions on them. And uh, one of their one of the Ocampa dudes that the, is kind of giving them the grand tour is like, yeah, bad news. Uh, you're definitely going to die from this. We believe he must have separated you from your own species for their protection. Yeah, it's not just a social disease that that makes hooking up difficult. Uh, it's actually fatal. So, <laughs> sorry. We get Bolana Torres' eyes to to commercial. Out of the commercial, we realize that uh, Tuvok is a character that enters your quarters without knocking. Yeah. He goes right into Neelix's quarters. While Neelix is taking a bath. <laughs> yeah, and he just continues on in, on into the bathroom. Ben, <laughs> is this the first bathroom we've seen on a starship in... I can't I think of the last time I saw one. Can I get back to you, Mr. Worf? I feel like we see people, like, have a sink it a couple of times in TNG, but I, I don't remember ever seeing a shower or a tub or a toilet. I mean, what kind of... To- what does a 24th century toilet look like that can accommodate all types of aliens? <laughs> it is very complicated. A hole in the floor is the universal toilet, right? What, what they should have done is a little bit here where Tuvok comes in and sees Neelix in, in the you know foamy water of his bubble bath. And Tuvok goes, Mr. Neelix, you have found the toilet of this room. You are not using it for its designated purpose. The 24th century toilet is the tub. The yeah. tub is the toilet. Right? You just put an insincorator in the drain, and that, that's going to be able to deal with all comers. It's the bathroom cloaca, right? It's one <laughs> hole. It's one drain for every use. Yeah. That's the dream, right? That's the best that we can hope for. So a dustbuster club beams down to the surface of this planet. It's Janeway, Chakotay, Paris, Neelix freshly out of his tub, and Tuvok where they are introduced to the Kazon. The Kazon are a race of beings that look like the alien designer had a very limited budget and was turned loose on the pinecone aisle of a Michael's (laughs) craft store. (laughs) This species is one of the main things I want an HD remaster of Voyager for is just to see Uh what that hair looks like in high def because it's always been so vague to me like is it hair or is it like 
gray foam rubber or something like that. Like, it, like it, have you read about that affliction that, that causes you to have like, like wood-like things to come out of your skin? I can't remember what it's called. Epidermodysplasia verusiformis. That's what it reminds me of. It looks like wooden roots. It does look kind of inexpensive to me, but it's also more inventive than like nine out of... 10 aliens on TNG. Then a piece of putty between your eyes. Right. Like, I I feel like they aren't maybe as well designed as a species as like the Klingons or whatever, but they're a billion times better designed than the Barzans. (laughs) You know what it does, though? It's got to scale. And when you see how many Kazan there are in this scene and scenes that follow, you're like, you need 30 of these getups. Right. This wig has to be able to be reproduced en masse. This is the Agla tribe of the Kazan, and these are these are people that Neelix seems very familiar with. He sort of launches into leading this bit of diplomacy. Yeah. He really takes charge. He does, uh, until they, like, disarm the Dustbuster Club and put him up against a wall and get ready to summarily execute him. But, uh, but they're very impressed when he demonstrates that he's able to make water materialize out of nowhere. This is like technology as indistinguishable from magic because it's sufficiently advanced stuff Mm -hmm. for them and what he tells us is that the there are different factions of Kazon and some are richer in some resources and some are richer in others uh you know i'm sure we'll meet like the zerg rush Kazon at some point but uh these Kazon are poor in water so causing a couple of vats of water to be beamed down from the ship is all of the leverage anyone would ever need in bargaining with them. Do not, my friends, become addicted to water. It will take hold of you, and you will resent its absence. Neelix goes kind of Wayne on the lead of the Kazon. <laughs> because once he shoots the two barrels, uh, what's the difference at that point? He starts going ham. Yeah, he shoots Jab and he shoots everybody. They do not make a great first impression with these people, uh, but they do uh, They do recover uh, Kess, a young woman that the Kazan had been interrogating uh, quite brutally from the look of it. She's got some, some pretty bad uh, bruises. She's been brutalized so much that she only speaks in ADR the rest of the episode. (laughs) They don't have any way to, like, get down below the surface. They basically say it's impossible, and she can kind of corroborate this because she came up from under the surface. The, Mm -hmm. the, The Ocampa live behind some kind of energy field that has obscured their settlement from the ship's sensors, even. Yeah. There's an entire airport terminal down there, and they can't even detect it. Uh, Kim and Torres are exploring this airport terminal, kind of the areas where the airlines that no longer exist did business. Those ticket <laughs> encounters are all right. dark. They're they're like in kind of a side tunnel when they're approached by a mysterious stranger. Uh, they, they ask this person if they're carrying, and uh, of course they are. This person offers them some shake weed as... <laughs> <laughs> a cure for their lesions. This is chronic, okay? It's going to clear your daddy's eyeball problem and shit. <laughs> that little plastic box is like exactly what pot in New York used to come in. Like, Yeah. I like this scene because it sets up the idea that not everywhere in this world looks like an airport terminal. Yeah. There are other places. And, and the suggestion of tunnels is also made around this point, too. Like, how else did Cass get out? 
and and that like the Ocampa are not like a homogenous society where everybody mm-hmm. believes the same th- the same stuff. Like Kest left for ideological reasons, and there are people that don't love the way the elders run things. And she's like, you know, elders is a bit of an exaggeration. They're n- they're not that eld, but uh, <laughs> but they're elder than I am, I guess. The shakeweed strangers, like you know, you might be able to use those old tunnels to get out. Except, you know, there's like meters of rock that you need to get through. Kim and Torres don't see this as too much of a deterrent. They're like, cool, give us the tools to do it. Yeah. And uh, the shake weed dealer's like, it, it's probably going to take a while. <laughs> like, I, I, ba- I, basically, I basically just traffic in shake weed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's actually it. That's all I can do for you. I'm sorry. And that's what inspired Bolana and Harry to found The Boring Company. I love that that like in the scene previous, Neelix has taken charge and just shot up a bunch of shit before they get beamed away. We cut into Six Bay where where the the Dustbuster Club has convened, and Neelix gets a very stern talking to from Tuvok about his actions on the surface. If you had told us what you had planned, we might have anticipated your irrational behavior. That's the slap on the wrist he gets. Yeah, yeah. Tom Paris was not the one we had to worry about giving yeah. a weapon to. <laughs> yeah. I love that the EMH has a debruising device that he uses on Kess. Yeah. Which made me, uh, I wonder if you can use that on fruit. Hmm. Get one of those shit apples. It's made of our shit, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, debruise it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good to me. There are breaches in the security barrier where it's begun to decay. There are ways to get down into into this if if they could find one of the breaches in the security barriers uh they may be able to beam through so uh they're 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 just back from their away mission they're already planning their next one you know it's like uh it's like coming back from a really great vacation the pace of the problem solving in this episode is so brisk it's almost startling how they they go from neelix wanting to fuck out of here we're leaving this system together but Kess sort of feeling <laughs> indebted to the crew it would be wrong not to help them now for yeah. saving her life and then they they talk about the idea that maybe you could use the tunnels to get back down to the airport terminal and then you just cut there they've done it they've done it like there's no greeting party they're just like walking through like the settlement it's like nobody seems particularly surprised to see strangers of a different species even though they've been isolated down here for 500 generations janeway's like you grow nothing but rainbow chard like (laughs) that's it that's all you eat i mean it sautés up beautifully if you have a little garlic but but just by itself, I can't imagine subsisting on that. What it does is it looks really nice in a home garden. Yeah. You get that, that rainbow chard growing. It's a, it's a real feast for the eyes. First. It's a hearty plant and it's a real, it's got some wow factor, you know, if somebody else is coming over and taking a look at your garden. Enter Tosket, who is someone who's familiar to Kess. Uh, the two don't see eye to eye on their relationship to the caretaker. Tosket is more of an orthodox Ocampa. And Kess is sort of a sort of more of a free thinker, and I guess you'd you'd assume that given that Kess used a tunnel to get to the surface. Right. Yeah. The uh, one of the things they discuss here is the cognitive abilities of the Ocampa uh, being in decline. They reputedly had cognitive abilities that they have lost in their time underground uh, 
being taken care of by the caretaker. It's it's vitamin D deficiency. Yeah. They sort of remind me of the humans on that spaceship in Wally. Like, yeah, no pressure on them to, to make them keep their minds sharp, I guess. They didn't sell rainbow chart at by and large, that's for sure. <laughs> so we see this argument uh, take place and uh, Kes basically storms off with her way team friends to go find Bolana and Harry and leaves this guy in the dust. And we catch up with Bolana and Harry uh, who have found one of these ancient tunnels that goes up to the surface it's kind of like a big shaft where they're gonna have to climb up like thousands of flights of metal stairs but they're really starting to suffer from this illness that they've been given by the caretaker so it's not going to be an easy ascent yeah the shake we didn't do anything yeah that lady did get them some flashlights and stuff though like they have some equipment now which is nice yeah Maybe they traded the weed for equipment. Oh, yeah. They red paper clipped the weed. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Do you think they blogged about it? Oh, yeah. You got to do that. Got to turn it into a movie. You wonder if it would have, you know, if it would have worked without the blog. Is it possible to do anything interesting or have any interesting conversation if it's not a blog or a podcast? (laughs) I don't know. It's a real tree falling in the forest situation. Yeah. We learn a little bit more about Bellana Torres in this scene. Yeah. Uh, she went to the Academy. She's got a little Starfleet in her. Which comes as a surprise to Harry Kim. Yeah. She yeah. did not graduate, but she's got some she's got some stories. They they had some professors in common. She just didn't get along with school and school didn't get along with her. Are you surprised that at this point in the story, with all that Harry Kim and Bellana Torres have been through, there is not even a whiff of attraction between them. We're not finished yet. I thought about that, but then I I realized, like, they're both sick, and I don't think they had any time together before they were sick, so maybe they're just, like, too fucked up to get horny. No one feels amorous when they're sick. That's a great point. Except for me. They notice that the pulses are getting faster, which indicates to me that the array needs to start thinking about baseball pretty fast to prevent an overload. Yeah. <laughs> the array is uh, is not going for longevity. It's just trying to pump it out. And, it's just uh, jackhammering away on this planet. Yeah. Can't be very pleasant for the planet. Ancient jawline, f- for some reason, has the con and radios to Janeway that uh, the pulses have gone from white to green and the caretaker seems to be kind of cauterizing the energy inputs of the settlement keep me informed jane way out that station's gonna need to see a urologist if yeah. if that's what's happened ensign jawline is fucking up they left yeah. him in charge again and again he's blowing it the reason you don't put ensign jawline in command is in the event of a kazon attack in orbit yeah, that that would not be good for him. When the array switches from white to green, it's not just a sign of a potential infection. Uh, it's that it's begun shooting a weapon at the planet, a weapon that is meant to seal up the cave openings. Yeah. What's going to happen to all those Kazon we saw on the surface? They're going to be fucked up, right? Tuvok kind of puts the puts the pieces together here. I believe that the caretaker is dying. It's hard to take Tuvok seriously while he's eating a Wetzel's pretzel as they have this conversation. (laughs) 
Well, it was between that and Baja Fresh, which he used to like, but like has not had good experiences lately. I mean, he doesn't know the bathroom situation on the surface, so yeah, probably best to keep it uh, easy to digest. So Tuvok has it all figured out, and Captain Janeway does too, except from her perspective, the caretaker's declining health means that they're not going to have a way home soon Yeah, uh, were they to die. The caretaker is kind of like wrapping up uh, his his uh, operation here at this planet, and uh, and they basically need to get out of the Ocampan settlement before before the seal is sealed do you think they call it an o camp uh yeah probably i don't think they do that was dumb <laughs> i feel like i'm having a bad show we tried so hard to make this a good show and then you're I having say, a o great camp? show o camp like an idiot i liked it i thought it was good thanks man camp is right in the name you can't spell o campo without the word camp I love that Kim and Torres are, are in are in the cave yeah. when they're found, and Kim doesn't yell at all. Like, like they have to look up and see them. <laughs> yeah, you the, got to yell, Kim. The groups kind of catch up with each other, and yeah, and Kim does does not seem too incapacitated to yell. Like, because when they get yeah. to him, he's like, "Hey, welcome to welcome to the Ocampa camp." I expected for sure, like, they they get to Ensign Kim, and he's like, I smoke too much shake weed. Instead, he says, welcome to the Ocampa camp, and Tom Paris is like, Ocampa camp? Is that really the best you can do, dude? This is a comedy show. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> this is the part of the story where Kess becomes kind of instrumental in leading them out of the cave. They, they have to sidle past a part of the shield with a hole in it, yeah. which she describes as something that will kill you if you were to touch it. Yeah, melt your skin off. I looked at their knees as they were as they were creeping through. It looked like a little bit of a knee burner to me. Yeah. We've been told it'll burn your skin off. <sighs> Torres seemed like she she probably would have gotten singed IRL. Yeah. So they sidle past that that shield hole and then they they shoot through the ceiling of the Star Trek cave and emerge where Wesley my son and Picard crash their shuttle in that episode of TNG. But then Wesley and Picard walk across the desert and they like find out that that guy has alcohol. Right. That he wasn't sharing. Yeah. And they breathe through their nose because if you breathe through your mouth you get dehydrated faster. Just just go back to that episode of Greatest Gen. It's a, it's a great one. <laughs> a good just one. check that out. Here, we'll stop. We'll stop right now. Go back and listen to that episode and, and we'll be we'll be right here when you're ready. Yeah, let's That's do that. Season 4, episode 9, the final mission. Tom Paris, a character with uh, a, a big attitude, a lot to prove, but he's also got to be a member of this crew. He's got to save the cat. We got to we got to feel like he's on our side. So, there's a farmer's daughter in there. <laughs> uh he he goes back and saves Chicote, who's like broken his leg and is stranded on this uh this walkway. 
It, it it's, almost uh, looks like the end of Captain Kirk kind of a moment there. I was just going to say the most dangerous place in Star Trek is a metal scaffold because this is a show willing to kill its most important character on one. They shot this right after shooting Generations. I wonder if they thought about changing this moment to something else just because it's like so similar. It's almost shot for shot. Yeah. Like the cut to the bolts loosening. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. So Chakotay ends up falling to his death, uh, but not before Paris greets him at the bottom uh, yeah. where, where Chakotay tells him how much fun yeah. the mission was before dying. We cut to Paris making a little mound of, uh, of rocks on the surface that we can infer is Chakotay's grave. Yeah, kind of fucked up that, that he moves the rocks around into a face tattoo kind of shape. Like, I wasn't really sure what his religion was, so I thought this was the most appropriate thing. I mean, Cairns are Native American, right? Like, just totally <laughs> spitballing ideas of, about what might or might not constitute Native American culture. Like, I mean, how interesting that you bring that up in talking about the scene where Tom Paris saves Chakotay, because that right. is where the, like, casual anti-Indian racism really starts to rear its ugly head, and it is so surprising because it feels so outside of the tone of star trek like you don't yeah. s you don't hear people going like hey jordy you're a black guy right bullshit man it's just bullshit even like commenting on somebody else's race is something that is treated very carefully in star trek typically and except alien race wise because alien race stereotypes feel like are uh, are traded back and forth conversationally a whole bunch specifically yeah. like uh ferengi and klingon and romulan stereotypes slurs about my people yeah and this does feel more like the way harry kim was talking about i've heard about i've heard about ferengis at the academy stuff than than anything else and he says a few things that are like pretty offensive in this moment and it's like it's so surprising that they that they included that in the script like i it's so surprising that they that that passed muster in 1995 it's like sometimes when people say stupid shit like this they call it a joke uh -huh. and then more shit comes out that's even worse than the earlier shit right they're the victim in all this you know i'm really easy to get along with most of the time but I don't like bullying. I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Not this Chakotay lives, Ben. <laughs> in a very heroic scene, Tom Paris saves Chakotay, makes it off the stairs as the, as the stairwell falls into the Star Trek cave. Get out of here, Paris, before the whole thing comes down. I intend to, as soon as I get you up. I really got the bends after this scene, because we're back on the ship, yeah. Suddenly Ensign Kim has his uniform back on. <laughs> and uh and like was he beamed into it? Yeah. And he, and like he and Torres don't seem to be sick anymore. Like Yeah. And Chicote and Torres are wearing their leather gear from from the Maquis, so yeah. like they're back in uniform. Uh Ensign Jawline was like really trying to make up for fucking up previously he's like not only am i beaming everybody back with their weapons disabled but i'm also beaming them back into the uniforms that they should have been in that's how good i'm gonna be this time 
in his head, uh, Jawline's like, they're going to love this. They're going to really appreciate the thoughtfulness. Yeah, I'm going to get one of the best attaboys in Starfleet history, and instead, like, nobody notices. It, what sucks about being Jawline is that on the one hand, you beam people back to, into their uniforms. On the other hand, you've left the ship's pants down as the Kazon <laughs> ships approach. This is ridiculous. Yeah, so they get in a, uh, a space battle with a couple of Kazon ships kind of right around the array where the caretaker lives and Janeway and Tuvok are going to make one last plea to get the caretaker to send them home so the Maquis ship and Voyager fight these Kazon while they beam over they leave uh, Tom Paris with the con this time and Ensign Jawline is like oh god Damn it! <laughs> no! I tried so hard to make up for the earlier thing, and now that the guy, the observer, he doesn't even have one pip. What? What about the uniforms? Did the uniforms mean nothing to you? <laughs> he withers in shame. I love the two shot, like Paris yeah. in the foreground, Ensign Jawline in the background, just squinting, <laughs> grating his teeth. Uh, this FaceTime with the Kazon does not go well. <laughs> uh, and neither does the conversation with the caretaker. He's kind of, uh, when 400 years old you reach, look as good you will nodding them. <laughs> and Janeway is like, come on, you got to send us back. And he's like, I can't do it. This I can't do it anymore. I've, I've set self-destruct. Like, this thing is going away. Like, the, the machinery will no longer exist because I've got to make sure that the Kazon don't get access to this array because then they'll kill the Okampa and their camp. And Janeway's like, really? Their camp? Come on. Look, look try, try to put the words together. <laughs> Barely a, enough strength to complete my work. I know you can figure this out. Like... <laughs> It's like reducing fractions. Take yeah. a couple of letters out. There's a there's a, a logic in the joke somewhere, but it's just it's just not working. <laughs> like I can see I can see that there's a preface. Banjo man's like I'm too old. I'm too old and I'm too tired. Yeah. He admits that this entire charade was about searching for a replacement for himself. He didn't yeah. want to just leave the Okampa without a caretaker. That would be irresponsible. He needs a substitute caretaker. He was trying to reproduce. He was trying to find somebody that was like biologically compatible with himself. And Janeway's like, listen, man, like I know that it's 1995 and not 2021, but like you got to ask before you reproduce with people. You've been bringing ships from all over the galaxy. Really glad Banjo Man's idea of reproduction wasn't the old fashioned way. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's like a character that feels this like huge amount of guilt for having destroyed the biosphere of the planet the Ocampo live on. That was the debt that could never be repaid. Oh! I killed it! And so like all of this has been in service of trying to save them from from destruction at his own hands, but it seems like he also sort of kneecapped their progression as a species by making them his pets instead of like letting them somewhat self-determine their own future they're children children have to grow up this is like an, an object lesson and why you don't violate the prime directive i guess and it's also about guilt <laughs> guilt for making a big mistake very advanced species occasionally 
steamroll less advanced species or eliminate them entirely and it just happens I really chuck it up to a version of a, a super species nursemaid's elbow situation <laughs> you can really just play too rough I thought the Hooshnock were having fun until I accidentally exterminated them you might say that uh, Chakotay thought that the Kazon were having fun when he piloted his Mikewee's craft into their ship, but then their ship destroyed itself and destroyed the array. I did not get this part. Chakotay's on the ship, and he goes from zero to what I thought was suicide mission very fast. Yeah. Was this part confusing to you too, or just me? I was like, whoa, <laughs> what is he such a true believer about? It's Starfleet shit, right? That's like needs of the many, like deep yeah. DNA kicking in. I wonder if, do we need this scene because of him becoming the XO at the end of the episode? Like, does he need his hero turn in order to make that credible? I sort of wonder, like, if that's why we didn't get the who's going to get a phaser before we go on an away team. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is writing a backwards stuff too, right? Like yeah. if you know that's coming, you gotta you gotta place these these markers in the road. So we feel like we can trust Chicote because he was willing to risk everything to save everyone else. And so the the huge Kazon ship that has showed up is like taking out parts of the array as it as it burns up in space pretty fun effects here i thought yeah and i really like the effect of the hologram failing inside the mm -hmm. array where they're like in the barn and then they're in a technological space with this big like cg non-humanoid alien uh that is what the caretaker was banjo man is like we can't let the kazon have this tech that's why originally I set self-destruct, but now self-destruct isn't going to work because the Kazon ship crashed into the array. Yeah. I'm going to need you guys to do it. But the Kazon need water, which they don't have, and yet they have giant starship building technology. I don't get them. Yeah. It's been a really long time since I've watched Voyager, and I don't remember how much they go into about that, but I guess they wouldn't have replicators if they don't have like transporters and replicators seem like very close technologies to each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting also that the caretaker does have all of this technology and yet nobody else that they've encountered so far has ever even heard of it. If the Kazon present such a threat to the Okampa and it's all about water, why doesn't the caretaker just give them some water so they go away? Seems like he could do that. Yeah. But he's just so old. The caretaker's original form kind of looks like a clear lips sofa <laughs> or like what are those things that uh they're like couches for music festivals that you fill with air by kind of like oh yeah yeah, like yeah kicking yeah. them out and rolling up an end and then you fold it in half yeah that's what he looks like yeah he, he looks like he would be a really fun thing to bring to the beach um right but uh when he turns into this husk i love the sequence of time between Husk and Captain Janeway walking over, reaching down, and then thinking about picking him up, and then actually picking him up. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he's a paperweight in Janeway's <laughs> office at the end of the episode? I kept looking around that scene. I wanted to see him. They go back down to the planet, and uh, in the like, right next to the pile of rocks where they bury Chicote, they bury <laughs> this other rock. 
They're going to meet the uh, the caretaker's counterpart, the lady caretaker, out yeah. in space one day. They're going to invite her over to uh, Janeway's ready room, and she's going to see the husk. Like, that is not going to be a good tone setter at all. It's it's on Janeway's desk behind her, and they're, like, sitting in the couch area, and Janeway, yeah. like, reaches behind her and, like, kind of pushes it, <laughs> pushes it behind her so that the other caretaker yeah. can't see it. She's not going to like that. So they uh, everybody beams back to Voyager. They uh, they shoot some tricobalt devices at the array over Belana Torres's objections. Uh, I mean, this is the they this thing still has the technology to send them home, but in order to save the Ocampa, Janeway decides to destroy the array and uh, and cement them being stranded in the in the D quad. There's like so little time for Torres to be like, uh, what? Who is she to be making these decisions for all of us? She's the captain. Fire. Before it's torpedoes away, that you can't tell me that there isn't a lot of resentment about this decision to come, right? Yeah. Torres and Chakotay are the only Mayquis on the bridge, but you get the sense that there were kind of a lot of them because we saw a lot of them in that hallway. Um, but it, like one thing that I think is a little confusing about this episode is that ship that they're on looks really tiny. So when you see just them two and Tuvok in the cockpit in the beginning, you could be forgiven for assuming that's all of the Mayquis there are. But I think that, I think that it's like a bigger crew. Right. And, uh, yeah. Torres is kind of there to represent hardcore Mayquis in a way where, like, that Chakotay is more of a pragmatic, I think, than than she is. I'm really looking forward to the episode where the A-story conflict is Torres being unhappy with her quarters, given that Neelix was given a giant suite with a soaking tub, <laughs> with a bathtub cloaca <laughs> in it. Yeah, yeah. It's a great big explosion in space when they destroy that uh, that caretaker array. That looks great. The lead Kazon uh, has a comment that does not seem commensurate with the explosion. Because boom goes the dynamite, lead Kazon gets on the FaceTime and is like, You have made an enemy today. And transmission. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah. it seems like he's more upset about the array than his giant ship that was destroyed. I don't know how many thousands of people on board. <laughs> kind of a lot of people just died. Yeah. Paris reports to the ready room and is informed that he will be receiving a field commission to LT. Congratulations. There's some strings attached, one of which is that he will be reporting to the new first officer, Commander Chakotay who he was recently racist to and is very upset about it. But his racism was forgiven because uh, for some reason Chakotay has pledged his life to Paris yeah. as a result of his life-saving measures. That's like the funniest way to dunk on the racist, right? Is be like, yeah, that's real. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I owe yeah. you my life or whatever, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, Chakotay can actually turn into an eagle. Right. <laughs> you racist asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, he's going to be pipped. I wanted a pip scene. We don't. I thought get it, it. would have been nice if she'd gotten up and put the put the pips on him, but uh, 
No such luck for, for him. He's leaving, and Neelix and Kess come in, and they announce that they want to be kind of uh, brought into the crew. They want to be like fixers, dequad fixers for, for the Voyager crew. They really make the hard sell here, especially Neelix. He's yeah. not taking no for an answer. This is the sort of used car salesman that I try to avoid. Just stop, Neelix. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. He does have, like, quirk-style fancy costuming, and he does have, like, I feel like they they really, like, used the idea of a quirk-type character in coming up with what Neelix was going to be. I wonder if there is some wardrobe swapping uh, between them. I wonder oh. if they're the same <laughs> the same suit size. Yeah. Uh, the button on the episode is a, a pretty long captain speech to the new crew. We're alone. Mr. Paris, set a course. We've got uh, Chicote in his in his uniform, and uh, Janeway walks around the bridge, and uh, I really like this. Like she basically is making the case that like we are going to live by our Starfleet values. We're two crews that are merging into one, and like our our top line goal is get home and get home faster than you know the warp engine would do at top speed if that's all we were relying on. She does that thing, though, where she's like, let's talk about solutions, how we can come together and fix the problem that I created by blowing up our only way home. (laughs) Guys, I know you agreed to come on this road trip, and we're currently on the side of the road next to the smoking hulk that I personally blew up. (laughs) What I want to talk about now is... uh... You know, not looking back at at mistakes of the past, but looking forward toward opportunities for the future. Did you like this first episode of Star Trek Voyager, Ben? Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Boy, I really did. I think that there's some stuff that feels a little hand-wavy, a couple of moments where I wanted to know more, and I just couldn't because it is really breathless. Like, we Mm -hmm. moved through so many story beats in this episode and i was i was pointing out to you that the um the memory alpha page about this episode is hysterically long like it it would probably take me a week to read all of it if if i did uh but but the thing that is funniest to me about it is that in recapping the plot they have this episode broken into an eight act structure classic robert mckee's eight act structure god help you if you use voiceover in your work my friend there's a reason that uh that he's got the screenwriting bible yeah yeah i mean what what movie can you think of that isn't an eight act structure i'll wait and so i think that uh like while that is true like this this really like gets my interest i think it's a great introduction to the characters they have already started to explore kind of the comedy aspect of this show which a lot of a lot of which centers around the doctor being a hologram man who is treated as sort of less than by the captain in one scene you know he's like he's like dismissed and a, a piece of equipment drops on the floor kind of unceremoniously in one scene like I feel like we really know like most of the characters and what they're about in a in a way that is really hard even with a double episode Robert Picardo's face is a really great character on this show already you can tell yeah uh, he's got a great Keenan reacts <laughs> quality about him yeah 
Uh, how about you? Did you like this episode? I did quite a bit. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed being back on a ship again and how meaningful that was to my enjoyment, you know? Yeah. Need to be on a great big ship with a, a brand new crew and getting into into spaceship type adventures again. I was confused by the whole Tom Paris, Nick Lacarno thing, though. Yeah. Like, especially when he's introduced in prison. Right. And especially when the, the dialogue used to describe his backstory could have been Nick Lacarno's backstory. Like, the stuff about, uh, about the deaths of some Starfleets, like... Yeah. It it lined up with Nick Lacarno's story up into a point where it really didn't. And yeah. I wonder why they didn't just do it. This may be apocryphal, but what I've heard is that the that it was supposed to be Nick Lacarno and it was they cast him because they wanted him to basically reprise that character, but they would have had to pay whoever wrote that character every time they used the character in the new series. Uh. And, and if you're doing seven seasons if right. a character, you're going to go broke. Yeah. I like, I don't know. I don't, who knows how like WGA rules work on something like that, but if it would have like prevented them from reasonably being able to budget for episodes, like I could see making the decision to just change the name, like making sense. But also I wouldn't put it past Rick Berman to be like, what? We're not giving that guy a thousand dollars every time we say his name, you know? <laughs> nice to meet you, Harry Kim. I'm Lick. Nicarno. <laughs> yes, Lick. Lick is a name that rhymes with Nick that uh, that everybody knows. There's no other ones I can think of. <laughs> Feels like a pretty good start here. Yeah. As far as uh, as far as premiere episodes go, I'm excited. Was, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for three and a half more years, Ben. I'm also excited to see if we have any priority one messages in the inbox, Adam. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. And we do, fortunately, Ben. Our first one is of a promotional nature. And the call to action is this. Join the Friends of DeSoto Discord at drunkshimoda.com. This is one of the, the social media sites that Friends of DeSoto have gathered at. Yeah. What a cool URL, too. Yeah, how did we not get that? (laughs) That was was really dumb by us. Message goes like this. We are reaching out to all Friends of DeSoto everywhere to join us for consensual fun on our Discord server. Our server features daily suck disc discussion, (laughs) beautiful sprockets and Darwin emojis, and all those saucy, compromising photos of Adam you've heard about. (laughs) If you're a fan of any of Ben and Adam's works, please grab your Horgon and join us. Wow, fun. Maybe we should do like a office hours there or something like that, like hang out for a little while and say what's up to folks. I like that idea. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, uh, that's also something we should uh, we should incorporate into our end of show uh uh suggestions for folks cuz I know that there's a lot of cool FODs over there. Yeah, drunkshimoda.com is where you can find that. We have another priority one message here, Adam. It's from Aaron, and it's to Miriam. goes like this. It's been 17 years since you introduced me to the pleasure of falling asleep to the ambient DVD menu sounds of TNG and DS9. And 13 years since we've had our first dance to Cisco and Vic's duet. Yes, we pulled the audio from a DVD for our wedding. 
Wow. To love you more than I do. It would be a war crime! Ben and Adam, thanks for the LOLs and Leia minifig. Wow. Very cool. That is a uh, that is a great run, Aaron and Miriam, and that's a, a really fun first dance. Yeah, it really is. That, that's, that's a bold a, choice. A deep cut. So was their first dance a minute? That seems like a great length of time for that. Yeah, that first sometimes dance. sometimes you go to a wedding and the first dance is like November rain or something. <laughs> it's uh, just too long. Yeah. We uh, we chose Rapper's Delight for our wedding, and mm. like by minute thirteen, you could really start to see like some of the older relatives lose their enthusiasm for the whole affair. Well, everyone got tired holding your chairs over their heads <laughs> <laughs> to set you down. Yeah. Um, congrats to Aaron and Miriam. Uh, I we missed your uh, anniversary, I guess, by a couple of months, but. Uh, uh, that's a good a good reminder for folks to uh, to get your P1s in early if you're trying to hit a specific date. Uh, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron if you would like to get a Priority One message of your own. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I feel compelled to give my Shimoda to Rollins because I have a suspicion that we're never going to see him again. I don't know. I just get that first episode of a new series vibe from Rollins that yeah. like that he's going to be a little bit Argyle. Yeah. Like, like he may pop back <laughs> in from time to time, but I don't know if he's going to be a going concern. And when he plays a station like a piano, <laughs> I like that quite a bit. So uh, he's my Shimoda for that. What about you? At the risk of putting him out to an unbeatable early lead in the Colin Dinsmore Shimoda power rankings... I'm going to go with Neelix, and it's for mm-hmm. that, for that, uh, just like, I think that he engages with the future the way most of us would if suddenly you were in the future. Like when he gets Which to is Voyager. have as much of the future as possible all at once. Yeah. He is not, hey, how do you cut on this TV? Yeah. Mr. Data. He is like replicate everything, jugs of water everywhere. I'm, I'm like spitting water out, like suddenly. The the most valuable thing in the world is free to me, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. Neelix ate ten $5 carnival guitars before <laughs> Tuvok entered his quarter. I'm Captain Captain Jingwe of the USS Broadbender. Captain Captain Jingwe of the USS Broadbender. All right, Ben. Well, uh, what are we going to be watching for the next episode of Star Trek Voyager? The next episode of Star Trek Voyager is Season 1, Episode 2, Parallax. Tensions rise between the merged Starfleet and Maquis crews when the ship becomes trapped inside a star that's collapsed upon itself. Mm. They get into some big trouble real early on here. Yeah. Big conflict about the tubs, I'm sure. Well, uh, why don't you head uh, over to our new game board, Adam? What are we going to call this game? Because before it was called uh, Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. And I'm going to propose Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker. Wow. Okay. So many neat updates to the game by our friends Philippe Sobriero and Craig Anderson. I'm looking at a couple of changes 
to our game, Ben. Yes. Uh, maybe primarily the choice of a six-sided die or a 100-sided die. Yes. That's interesting. And then uh, we have a couple of new spots on the game board. What we've got is Neelix's Galley, which is the hosts drink a Talaxian champagne. That sounds like a fun square. Yeah. We've got the caretaker, which is the caretaker sends the runabout to a random square on the board. Hence the hundred-sided die. So if we land on a caretaker square, you you roll the die again, and it will put you uh, somewhere else on the board. It it, it randomizes the game. Very and, cool. And uh, we are st- we we do reset here. So we're starting at square one. The runabout is on square one. One other big change to the game is that there are a couple of Delta Flyers now on the board, which uh, serve as the ladders to the Space Butthole Snakes. Mm. Uh, so so if we hit square two, for example, that uh, that hits us onto a Delta Flyer that would take us up to a His Eyes Uncovered square uh, on, uh, on square 21. I see how it works. So we can go up and down. Yeah. And around. Big changes. Uh, why don't you go ahead and roll that bone, my friend? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I've hit the button, Ben. I rolled a one. And we have jumped up to square 21. Wow. Uh, which is going to start us right away on a His Eyes Uncovered episode. That's uh, you and I are, during parts of the episode, going to pitch... 10 Tamarian style metaphors to uh, describe the action during the episode that we've watched. I'm really excited about this. This is the, the rare uh, time when you rolling a one yields an exciting result, Adam. Yeah, most of the time uh, it does nothing. <laughs> Another roll from me. Uh, good job there. Very, very fun. Well, I am uh, looking forward to this next episode. And uh, I can't wait! Uh, I can't wait to get into Voyager in a big way, man. This is great. Yeah, it's a new start. A new start. <laughs> Whether you're a longtime viewer of Greatest Gen who has coasted along on these past 350 or so episodes, or someone starting the fun now that we're about Star Trek Voyager, this first episode is a great time to make sure that you're supporting the show. So go to MaximumFun.org slash join to make sure that you are. For everyone already supporting Greatest Gen, and for those who are just about to, thanks a lot. Yeah, we'd, uh, we'd super appreciate that. We got uh, a great, great big thanks, especially on this episode, uh, to give to our buddy Adam Ragusia, who has uh, created all new interstitial music for these Voyager episodes of the program. For some reason, this is not what he's most famous for either, and yet he's so good at it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, uh, he is most famous for being a really fantastic YouTube chef. You can... Uh, Find his uh, YouTube channel by searching Adam Ragusia, and uh, he's going to teach you uh, some really great, like, you know, weeknight meals that are easy and fun to cook that don't take a ton of time, but uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, stretch your skills a little bit, but also, like, show-stopping meals you might make if you're going to do some entertaining 
And he's also really sharp about the kind of science of cooking. So you will kind of like learn why something works when you're learning how to do a, a dish. There are a ton of friends out there waiting for you. We call them the Friends of DeSoto on The Greatest Generation. You can find them on our long-standing Facebook group filled with great folks making Facebook a better place to be. The Discord server at DrunkShimoda.com. Uh, you can also make new friends by following our official Twitter feed, Greatest Trek, and Instagram feed, also of the same name. Uh, those places are run by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy, Yeah, our social media manager. He's, uh, he's making funny trading cards about every episode of this show and The Greatest Discovery, and uh, he retweets those, and uh, he posts really fun stuff on the Instagram uh, we really appreciate everything Bill Tilly does. Just as we appreciate everything that Philippe Sobriero and Craig Anderson and Andrew Wong Hoyer have done to make the game of Butthole's Will of the Caretaker so much fun for us. Thanks, guys. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and a episode of The Greatest Generation that I really hope doesn't collapse in upon itself. Mm. Glad to have you back on the conclusions. Really gets me off the hook. Feels good. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.